0: Well, friends, I'm excited about the next 10 weeks. I've been deliberating whether or not tonight to, um, to tell you this, this fact, because I'm just worried that everyone's mind will be gone from here on in as I, as I say this. But I thought it's worthwhile kind of bringing up that in 10 weeks' time, it's Christmas. I don't know if you'd realise that was the case. I don't know if all your minds are now gone. You're like, far out, that means all this stuff's got to come. Maybe for most of you there's exams, a few quizzes on the horizon, kind of got to get through. I just call them quizzes, it helps my brain kind of be able to cope. I know they're really exams, it just kind of lowers the bar and I feel okay about myself. But um, I know there's lots on assignments for many of you guys. But the next 10 weeks excite me, but not because of is approach. So every year I get to this point somewhere around mid-October and like, it's like someone puts my year on fast forward. Did you ever have that? You kind of get into October, you're like, oh yeah, it's like, whoa, what's happened? And it's like you're, you're suddenly hurtling towards Christmas. Everything speeds up and the focus is there onto Christmas. It's like a train that's just crossed the peak of a mountain, right? Or the top of a roller coaster. And you, you're kind of on it and it's just like... Tick, 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 and it's like, whoa, here comes the ride, right? Here we, here we come, hurtling down to ground zero. But that's not why I'm excited. I'm excited because over the next... 10 weeks we as a church will be spending this time thinking about what matters most rather than letting the train of life run out of control we'll be spending time together opening the word looking at God's purpose for humanity God's heart for us as people as a church as humanity seeing what matters in the end Focusing our lives on the plans and purposes of the creator of the universe. That's the series we've started called God's Heart for Auckland EV. What does God want for us? If you're anything like me, it's so easy to get sucked into what everyone else around me is doing. What they're thinking, what they're focusing on, what their plans and goals are. Do you find that? You're kind of going along in life and it's just so easy to be like every other passenger on the train just to do what they're doing, to keep going the direction they're going, to kind of just sit there and let life go in that direction. I don't want to be a passenger. Not on any train driven by the world around me. Do you? Do you want to let the world around us drive the direction we're going? Do you want to just kind of sit there and let inertia carry you? I don't. I'm out. I want to know what the plans and purposes of God are what God wants us to be doing as His people. And that's what we'll be spending the next 10 weeks looking at. What are His plans and purposes for us? How do we know what we should be doing as as His people here? We'll be looking at different passages throughout the Bible to kind of see the kind of main pushes that Scripture has for us as God's people. And then we'll be focusing on what really matters, spending four weeks on heaven and hell and what's going on there and what we think about it. But tonight we get to see right into the heart of God. We get to see what He's about, where He's going, what matters most for Him. This this passage that Zach so helpfully just read is so exciting for me. I, I, I've recently seen a few things that have just blown my mind to be able to see that God is about something very, very, very amazing. And as we open up this passage and think through what it means for us. It's kind of like smelling salts to a boxer. I don't know if you've ever seen like a boxing fight where the kind of boxer's been smashed around and they're kind of, you know, it's on all the movies, so it must be true. I'm sure this is how it works. You know, they're kind of smashed around. They're, 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 they're stuck in the corner. Their coach is there like, you know, doing the slaps on the face, trying to get them. to are like, You're not, you got to fight, dude. This guy's going to smash you. They're like, kind of like, oh, I'm Arnie or Sylvester Stallone. I don't even know what's happening, right? And they get this, this bottle of smelling salts. Now, I don't know what's in them, But whatever it is, it just freaks people out. They they put it underneath their nose and you're like, wow, what is that? It's probably wasabi or something, whacked up your nose. And it's like, "Woo!" And it's like they're they're back in the game, ready to fight, ready to, to move on. Well, this passage has been like smelling salt to a boxer for my Christian life. It wakes us up, it snaps us out of our days and focuses on the fight that's at hand. It pulls us out of passenger mode on that train And sets us on the right track. So the key factor in life, in creation, in humanity is this. God is to be worshipped. Now, what makes me say that? Well, hold on a second, we'll see. But I want to start with the reality that everyone worships something, right? Worship sounds like such a a religious word. Kind of the word that we kind of have in church when we sing awesome praises and we're carried away. uh, But... Everyone worships. No matter what your background, no matter what your position on God is or whatever deity you follow, everyone places something or someone at the centre of their life. All of us kind of revere something, don't we? We're all focused on something. We all make something or someone our ultimate concern. Now, naturally for me, it's myself. That's kind of where I end up, is that I think... I want to live a life that's comfortable, that, that works for me, that, that helps me get through. I naturally want to worship myself. We all worship something. But what we'll see through this letter that John has written in Revelation, this, this kind of two chapters, is that life is to be centred around God. He is to be revered. He is our ultimate concern And what John does is show us why that's the case. Why should we worship this God? As this chapter 4 begins, it's kind of like God draws back a curtain and lets John and with him us see into the very heart of God, the throne room of of heaven where God is. He gives us access to the kind of centre of the universe where the creator of all things is. Have a look with me. It's on the screen. Revelation 4 verse 1. After this, I looked and there in heaven was an open door. The, the first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I'll show you what must take place after this. I want to know what's going to happen, don't you? I want to know what God is going to show John into the throne room of, of God. I want to know what's about to take place. I want to see. And so we're kind of on the edge of our seats going, what is this? Well, what is it? What is... I'm about to enter into the place where the creator of all things is and to see what's going on. Now, so I'm going to read the next section, but I don't want you to read it with me. I just want you to sit there and imagine, use the kind of word pictures that John's using to kind of picture in your mind what this is like. The curtain's drawn back. Immediately, I was in the Spirit. And a throne was set there in heaven. One was seated on the throne. And the one seated looked like jasper and carnelian stone. A rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. And around that throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with gold crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder came From the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. Something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes, in front and in back, were in the middle, around the throne. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was was like a calf. The third living creature had a face like a man and the, and the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and they were covered with eyes around and inside. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is and who is coming. Holy, 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 Lord God, the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is coming. Here is the picture that God shows John of what is going on in the driver's seat of the universe. It's God, the Father, on His throne with all His heavenly array surrounding Him. Now, if this is your first time or you have, kind of haven't read Revelation very much, you might kind of start to think, maybe John was smoking something. Like, I haven't seen an animal with eyes on its outside and inside and six wings. that looks like a lion. Or, you know, what, you're like, what is he on? Is it some hallucinogen? Like, what's, what's kind of happening here? Some sort of... Yeah. The key thing to note with this type of writing... It's a genre called apocalyptic writing, which kind of means end times, writing about something that is to come that that we don't get know, kind of the full details of how it works. And apocalyptic writing, um, people love it because they come along and they go, well, this is that and that is this and they draw all these lines and they're like, right... This here is, um, you know, it's Arnold Schwarzenegger. He shouldn't be doing what he's doing. And that's, you know, it's everyone draws weird things in all sorts of places, and you're like, whatever, right? But the thing to do with apocalyptic writing is to read it and to see it kind of from a distance and get the picture of what's going on. It's kind of to stand back. And um, if you're doing engineering, I'm, I'm sorry... Like, it's going to be hard for you because there's no direct correlation between this bit and that bit and that bit and this bit. It's just kind of more like an art subject. It's kind of more like just standing back and seeing what the, the kind of impression of the painting does for you and, and, and help you to understand what's, what's going on. And as you stand back and visualize this picture before us today, there's one thing that's crystal clear. The one on the throne... Is amazing. Don't you get that picture? Everything in this throne room circles on Him. They're bowing down to Him. They're singing of His holiness, His separateness from everyone else, His almightiness. He is different from everyone that exists. He is worshipped. He is praised. He is the Lord God Almighty. He was, he he has always been, he is, and he is to come. He is from eternity to eternity. There is no one else like him. He's not some created thing that came into existence at one point in history, kind of, you know, like some billy cart I made when I was a kid. You know, I'm like, look at my billy cart, that's awesome, you know, it it didn't exist once, it exists now. People know what I mean when I say billy cart, like one of those, wow, next week, UniChurch billy cart lessons. Um, Basically, you get, this is total sidetrack, but I'll say it anyway, basically you get like a bit of wood, you put pram wheels on it and some rope at the front and, and you turn the steering wheel and you go down massive hills, right? Everyone got it now? Awesome, if you haven't had one of those, we can talk later and live. Anyway. I had a billy card as a kid, I made it, I was proud of it, but there was a time that it didn't exist and it doesn't exist anymore. It's gone, This is rubbish, in a heap somewhere. God is not like that. He has always existed. He, he was not created, he didn't come into existence at one point in history, he has always been and will always be. Then John further describes why these heavenly array of people are worshipping God. Look at 4 verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honour and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne and say, in verse 11 if you're following along, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honour and power because you've created all things and because of your will they exist and were created. Friends, this is the song of heaven. This is what has been going on for all eternity. The array that is around the creator of the universe are praising Him, saying, He is awesome. He is our Lord, our ruler. He is the God, the creator of all things. And he is worthy to receive all glory, all praise, all honour. Because there is not one thing he hasn't created. Everything that is came from him. And because of his will, his plans, his purposes, they still exist today. This is, is a picture of a God that is worthy of our worship. When people say, why should I worship the God of the Bible? It's because the God of the Bible claims that He made you. He sustains you. He upholds everything. He's not some local deity that's got some limited national power. He's the creator of all things. If this is true, if what John is saying is true... This God made everything. I don't know if you've ever walked outside at night on a clear night. I remember a time um, I was doing some camping. And we walked out, we were quite remote in where we were. And we walked outside early in the morning, just before sunrise, and there was not a cloud in the sky. We were probably about a thousand kilometres in the middle of Australia, right, from, from the coast. So there's not hardly any lights around at all. And I tell you, the sky was like a blanket of stars. It's just lit up. You, you look up and you, and you see just how far away these things are, how many there are. And you just feel so small, so insignificant, so little, right? You're like, this is, this is amazing that all this exists. God's like, that was me. The reason they stay there is because I hold them there. They are at my beck and call for when they start and stop. For what galaxies are doing. These are my bling. <laughs> this is what I do. And it's true, isn't it? As you see creation, the other day I um, went down to... um. Christchurch and flying down to Christchurch I saw um, all the kind of mountains there that are snow capped as we're flying over I'm like this is amazing like this it, it just takes your breath away to go this like I'm in a piece of metal in the sky but I'm looking down like so that's amazing as it is right how is that still in the sky but anyway that's another story um, and then I look down and I'm seeing all these like just amazing mountains it just takes your breath away like my billy cat was nothing I can't do that why am I worshipping myself What what an idiot do I think I can speak and that happens do I think I can speak and see the amazing kind of expanses and vistas that God has created well then just take the human body 25 trillion red blood cells are flowing through your body right now at any moment 25 million new cells are produced per second. We think, we we sit here, you're hearing me, you're processing what I'm saying, you're understanding me, hopefully, and kind of working out what's happening because of chemical reactions and synapses in your brain. I I can't even begin to understand how that works. That is amazing. Our bodies are amazing. The the way that... God says I spoke and it happened you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory, honour and power for you created all things and by your will they exist and were created the God of the Bible is the God who made it and upholds it he's the God who allows your heart to beat right now the only reason our hearts keep beating, the only reason that plane that I was in stayed in the skies because God allows the laws and principles of this universe we are in to remain constant. The only reason I can breathe is because God allows us to. He is worthy of my praise and yours, isn't he? (laughs) when I see the amazingness of God in people, in the world around me, in the heavens, it just makes me want to sing. It makes me, you know, not like the hills are alive with the sound of music kind of, but kind of. <laughs> it makes me want to go like, oh that's amazing, you are amazing that you would do all this that you would put me here, that you would create me, that you'd even think about me. It makes me want to say thank you. There is nothing I don't owe you. There is no part of this world, of this life, of myself, that is not entirely yours, that you have not made and you do not, that you uphold God. We owe Him everything. Friends, this is the song that has been sung since the beginning of time behind the the curtain into the throne room of God. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power for you made all things and by your will they exist and have their being. It's the theme song of heaven It's the overture of what's been going since, well, eternity. And it makes me ask the question, do you worship God? Have you seen Him? Have you seen His works? Well, in the middle of this joy, John, who I'd imagine is like, this is crazy. John in this great moment of celebration of the worthiness of God for all he has done, suddenly finds great sadness. His joy changes to weeping. That's kind of surprising. You're like, what? What's going on here between chapter 4 and chapter 5? Have a look at chapter 5, verse 1. Then I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside and the back sealed with seven seals. Now I take it this scroll is is the plans and purposes of God. This is his plan for the rest of humanity, the rest of what is to come, the rest of when 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 he comes back. I saw in the right hand of the one seated on the throne a scroll with writing on the inside and on the back sealed with seven seals. I also saw a mighty angel proclaiming in a loud voice, who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? But no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or even to look into it. And I cried. And I cried. Because no one was found worthy to open the scroll, or even to look into it. A picture of joy of the God who sustains and creates all things is now turned to a moment of tears that no one can fulfill the plans of God. His purposes are there in his hand, but no one is worthy to take them and to enact them, to even open them and see them. No one can can do this. And it brings John great sadness. He cries and he cries and he cries with this incredible sorrow, this incompleteness of the plans and purposes of God, a potentiality right there. He can see it in, in the hand of the creator of the universe, but unfulfilled. Wisdom that is not accessible, a future that has not yet happened. But then, as if John is in a dream where the dream turns to reality, he enters into the throne room. It's like one of these elders, one of these great ones who's been there for eternity, singing the praises of God, sees John and speaks to him. He brings him into this room and he says, This stop. Crying. Stop crying. And look. 5 verse 5. The lion from the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has been victorious, so that he may open the scroll and its seven seals. Then I, I saw one like a slaughtered lamb standing between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of the one seated on the throne finally in this picture there is one who is worthy to open the plans and purposes of god one who can execute god's plan one who was executed a lamb who was slain what is this it's some weird picture Verse 5, so verse 8 of chapter 5. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the elders fell down before this lamb. Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Let me just read that a different way. When he took the scroll, the four living creatures and the elders fell down before the lamb. They had been worshipping the true and living God for all creation, but now this slaughtered lamb is there and they are worshipping it? What is going on? Each one had a harp and gold bowls filled with incense, which are the prayers of the saints, and they sang a new song. They sang a new song. It really wasn't until a few weeks ago when I looked at this passage that the significance of those six words it might even be five. And they sang a new song. Six. Great. It kind of hit me. What is this new song? What's going on here? Because at this moment in the throne room of God, something happens. Something changes. That the the direction of their worship, the direction of all that they are doing in this throne room now centres on this slaughtered lamb and they begin to sing a new song. I just want to stop for a moment and focus on these words of they sang a new song. What does it mean to sing a new song? Is it kind of like, well, for eternity we've been singing the one and now we've got track two. It's like, whew, it's just a new one about the same stuff. You know, is this just kind of like, you know, track two of greatest hits and kind of they're kind of like or is it another song or what's going on is this the christian songwriters verse and that's what christian songwriters like they 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 sang a new song and christian songwriters they always go to psalm um 96 98 sorry sing unto the lord a new song right that's the christian songwriter's psalm sing unto the lord a new song sing um to the lord all the earth praise his name Right? And it's like this, this call that it's to, to write new music. Is that what's going on? We should keep praising God. Keep writing new songs about Him, about His amazingness, about what He's done, of His, of his greatness. I want to say yes, we, we should be doing that. But that's not what's going on here. Throughout Scripture, throughout Israel's history as an, as a nation, when a new song was sung, it was because there was something new happening in God's plan. So... God had just won victories over his enemies and his people sing a new song to the Lord who has saved us from our enemies. Or when God delivers his people from oppression, they sing a new song to the Lord for delivering us from our oppression because he has moved, he has done more for us when he's reinstated his presence among the people, when the Ark of the Covenant comes back in and King David's excited, he sings and jumps around and accidentally flushes his skirt and someone gets annoyed and anyway, it turns into a big thing. But he's excited and there's this new song that they're singing. But what's so astonishing here is this is no new song on earth. Something so monumental, so huge, so significant happened that heaven changed its song. That eternity changed its tune. The song that had been going for all eternity about the worthiness of God because of His creative and sustaining power, changed. Heaven itself changed its song at this moment. Something here happened that was so great that it eclipsed the creating and sustaining work of God. That it made those stars in the sky look like tiny little fairy lights. That it made those huge mountains look like just little anthills. It made everything that God had done look kind of cheap in comparison. Not that it is cheap, but cheap in comparison to this. The smallest intricacies of humanity just looked so simple compared to the all-surpassing an all-encompassing greatness of this event. Heaven changed its song. And this is what it sung. Chapter 5, 9 and 10. You are worthy to take the scroll and open its seals because you were slaughtered and you redeemed people for God by your blood from Every tribe and language and people and nation, you made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign on the earth. That is what eclipsed everything that had gone before it and changed heaven's song. It's about the worthiness of this lamb to fulfill God's plans. Here we see right into the heart of God to work out what he's on about, what he is doing in this world. And it's all about the Lamb and the work of the Lamb. He brings us into this throne room to say, That Lamb was slaughtered for you. He brings you and me into the throne room and says, It's been done. The Lamb is worthy to take God's plans, the scroll to open its seals because he was slaughtered. You redeemed people. You bought people back from their rebellion against God. It might seem gruesome, but it's oh so bittersweet, isn't it? That as Jesus died on the cross, he paid the price so that we don't have to die. That we can stand before the creator of the universe who we should worship, but we haven't. Who we should give everything to, but we don't. When we come before him, he should say, get away from me. You want nothing to do with me? That's exactly what I'll give you. No life, no sustenance, just separation from me for eternity. Hell. But this lamb saw all of creation have the opportunity to come back into relationship with God, to bridge that separation, to be forgiven for all our false worship for all the times we put ourselves in the centre of our world. And he began a new nation, a new kingdom. He installed a new king, Jesus. And he made relationship with God for the rest of eternity, access to the throne room for you and me possible, for you and me, for us to call God dad, to live forever in relationship with this one who speaks and makes the stars, who, who deals with our mess. And he gives those who trust in Jesus a new job, to be priests to our God, to take out this news of the kingdom of the lamb that was slaughtered for them, to sing a new song. Not a new one, but the one about the lamb, the song that heaven now sings, the song, the thing that changed heaven's song, that's what we are to sing. That's what's to be on our lips because that is what is in God's heart. To take that message of the slaughtered lamb to every corner of our street, of every suburb in our city, every city in this land and every square centimetre of land that exists in the cosmos. That is the heart of God. That is what He is on about. We have such an amazing God. He has given us so much. But His most glorious act, His crowning deed, the thing that eclipses everything else, is the death of His Son and the restoring of humanity back to God at the cross. This is the act that changed heaven's song. But for me, sometimes I'm just not excited about it. I'm so caught up on the train that I'm on, I don't even look out the window. I'm so just following the direction of those around me, the things that they like, the plans they have, the goals they make, that I don't see what God is on about. I hear about good things to do and I do good things and I, I, but I miss the absolute centrality of the cross of Christ. What is it that takes your attention away from Jesus? What is it that fills your mind and takes your time? What is it that you spend your life doing that absorbs all your energy? Because for God it's telling people about His Son. Friends, I want to get off the train driven by the world and I want to get on to the train that God is driving I want to see what he is about and live a life that's in tune with his plans his purposes, his directions oh sure I want to enjoy his creation I want to look around at what he's made and be amazed at him. I want to enjoy the role he's given me to work in the world and to, to love my family and, and to, to learn and to study and to be a, a positive influence on the world around us. But here's the thing. Heaven changed its song. The work of creation, the world we exist in, is amazing, yes, but secondary. What matters most is that you and everyone in this city Sees Jesus for who he is, the lamb that was slaughtered for them. To reconcile us to God, this is the song we are to be singing. This is the thing to be driving us in, in all we do. As we work our jobs, as we live in our families, as, as we study, as we kind of have fun and enjoy holidays, we just think, what of all of this will last for the next 40 billion years? One of all of this is helping people to come and know Jesus. Because that's what I want to do. That's what I want to be used for. In whatever way God's made me, whatever gifts and abilities I have, I want to be saying to God, use me. Do whatever you can to make me one of those priests, one of those people in your kingdom taking out the news of the slaughtered lamb. That's what it means, friends not to be a mature Christian, but to be a Christian. It's what it means to trust God, to take Him at His word, is to live with Jesus' death in our place and His resurrection and His redeeming work of bringing us back into relationship with God as the absolute central foundation stone of our lives. Don't you want to live that way? Don't you want to kind of throw off, like Paul says to Timothy, everything that fetters that holds you back, to, to train like an athlete, to be about the things that're going to see people last forever? Don't you want to be like that hard-working farmer who says, "Man, I'm just, I, I want to see this crop produce fruit." What is too much to see someone in eternity forever? Friends, the God of the universe tonight has shown you his song. He has shown you that heaven changed its tune. That his work of his son reconciling us to God is the new hit. Is the thing that creation, so that, that the throne room of God now keeps singing about. And my challenge to myself as I hear this is, How can I sing that song? How can I be used here at this campus? How can I be used in my family, amongst my friends, in my workplace, wherever I am? How can I sing that song? Well, for the next five weeks, we'll be thinking through in this series, how can we do that? How can we see God's plans and purposes happen here on earth? But my hint for tonight is why don't we go away from seeing the throne room of God and pray that God would so captivate us by that picture of what Jesus has done. He would so grip us that we might live every second of our lives for His glory so that others might know who He is and what He's done. Might we as Uni church be a church that is so excited and driven towards people understanding what Jesus has done that everything else is just, well, trappings on the side. Things we get to enjoy as we go about our purpose of seeing the world glorify our God. That's the train I want to be on. That's the thing I want to be doing with my time. Focusing all I have on seeing God glorified in whatever I do. Why don't we pray that he do that with us tonight, right now. Father God, tonight it is such a privilege to hear Your Word, to see into the throne room that You have shown to John and to give us a picture of Your amazingness and Your holiness. Lord, we confess that so often we we don't treat you as we should. We live lives that are kind of half-hearted in our, in our service of you and focus so often on, on us and our comfort and our security. And Father, forgive us. Show us the things we need to throw off so that we might run this race for your glory. Father, use each and every one of us here tonight to share this news of Jesus, to sing this song, that no matter what happens, whether it's great joy or great trial, we will be singing of the amazingness of Jesus' death in our place. And Father, we pray for those in this city, in this room, that don't yet know you as their Lord and Saviour. We ask tonight, Lord, that you would keep revealing yourself to them. For our friends, for our neighbours, for our classmates, for our workmates, for for all who are around us, Lord, we pray that you would bring them to yourself through the amazing work of your Son. That your Spirit would so captivate people with a picture that you have here in your Word that people would run like a moth to light. Father, tonight, grip us and help us to sing your song of the Lamb that was slain.